1: And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Friday, March the 10th, 2023, in the year of our Lord. On March 10, 1969, James Earl Ray pleaded guilty in Memphis to assassinating civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. However, later, Ray repudiated that plea and maintained his innocence until his death. Today, in 1496, Christopher Columbus concluded his second visit to the Western Hemisphere. He left Hispaniola for Spain. Today, in 1785, Thomas Jefferson was appointed America's minister to France, succeeding Benjamin Franklin. Today, in 1864, President Abraham Lincoln assigned Ulysses S. Grant. He had just received his commission as lieutenant general. Now he was to command the armies of the United States. Today in 1876, Alexander Graham Bell's assistant, Thomas Watson, he heard Bell say over his experimental telephone, Mr. Watson, come here, I want to see you. That transmission was carried from the next room in Bell's Boston laboratory, but it worked. Here we are today, carrying around our phones in our hip pocket or our purse or whatever. Today in 1913, former slave, abolitionist, and underground railroad conductor Harriet Tubman. She died in Auburn, New York. She was in her 90s, but no one knew for sure how old she was because she didn't know. Today in 2015, breaking her silence in the face of a growing controversy, and it was indeed a growing controversy, over her use of a private email address and server, Hillary Rodham Clinton, the woman who always wanted to be president. Secretary of State. She conceded that she could have used government email as Secretary of State, but insisted she had not violated any federal laws or Obama administration rules. Secretary of State's a pretty powerful office. It's not, it's not settling to know that the Secretary of State of the United States of America is running America's business on a server that she keeps in her closet. And that's what we learned later was in fact the case. She wanted to control those emails. She didn't want anybody else to have access to them. We found out a bit over the last few years as to why. But boy, these people really do think they're above the law, particularly the progressives, particularly Hillary Rodham Clinton. I don't know that she'll ever reach the Oval Office. It does not appear that she will, but that's been her lifelong dream. She's done everything humanly possible to make that happen. It has not happened. There are reasons. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, he is being treated, you probably heard this or you may have on the news, he's being treated for a concussion he fell at a hotel in Washington, D.C. on Wednesday night. He was at a – it was kind of a fundraiser, but it was a, a pack. I think a, I think a political pack was having a dinner there. And um, McConnell is 81 years old, and he's expected to remain in the hospital for a few days, they say, as he recovers, uh, receives treatment for injuries and that he sustained in the fall, including a concussion. His um, press guy, David Pop, I think is his name, he put out this message. He, he said, uh, Leader McConnell tripped at a dinner event Wednesday evening and has been admitted to the hospital as being treated for a concussion. He's expected to remain in the hospital for a few days of observation and treatment. Uh, he said that yesterday, on Thursday. Uh, I, he didn't mention, nor probably should he have, but I, I do know that McConnell had polio when he was younger and um And um, he has said, I've heard him say that as he's gotten older, he sometimes feels the effect of polio, which had some paralysis effects to it, uh, that he he feels the effects of having, having had polio as a kid. Uh, when he's climbing stairs, and he particularly has noticed that as he's gotten older. That may have had something to do with it. I don't know. They didn't say that. But nonetheless, it sounds like he's going to recover. They expect him to recover, but that was kind of a sad. Mitch McConnell is not my favorite politician, but, you know, I mean, he is a human being who fell down the stairs, and that's sad. And we wish him well, and may the Lord bless him and keep him and turn his thoughts and his mind in the right direction. On the most important issues in America, the Spokesman Review, Spokane, Washington, reports about. They report they're reporting this week about this 300 million dollars that's going to be flowing into Washington State. That's the first in the the first payment of many. I mean, several to come. And the 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 money, the 300 million, is going to be used by Washington State to fight climate change, which really means forcibly redistributing the wealth. I mean, that's what that means. Let's be honest. So where is this money coming from? Well, it's coming from Washington's first pollution auction. That's right. Just like California, Jay Inslee wants to be Gavin Newsom, I guess. And the legislature wants to be the folks in Sacramento. So just like California, Washington has set up a cap on how much a company can pollute. Above that, they must pay for their polluting. It's kind of like buying an indulgence from the church. I mean, I don't know. That's what crossed my mind. If you pollute more than 25,000 metric tons of carbon dioxide, you can purchase indulgences. I mean, allowances. Governor Inslee says, quote, this is historic for Washington. Yeah, it is. I was (laughs) never seen anything like that in all my life. He said, it's historic for Washington and for the global movement. Oh, it's a global thing. For the global movement toward a low-carbon future. I imagine the response of some of the God-fearing, hard-working people, farmers, ranchers, and others in Washington State, that could also be historic. There may be They may nail more than 95 theses to the door. I don't know. We'll see. Somehow that just doesn't pass the smell test for me, but then nobody's asking my opinion anyway. But that's what's happening as we speak. Attorney General Bob Ferguson, Washington State Attorney General, he was kind of jumping up and down, at least in his heart, if not with his body yesterday. He was tweeting, Washington House passes ban on the sale of assault weapons. And he goes on and on and on. Yeah, well, good job, you know. What's next? Shotguns so you can't kill pheasants? I don't know. Anyway, he was kind of celebrating that. It's interesting. There's kind of a move across the country to stop people from hunting, even fishing. Even fishing. Florida could soon add a right to hunt and fish amendment to its state constitution. (laughs) That caught my attention. I grew up hunting and fishing. And no, we did not put the fish back in the stream when we caught them we didn't catch and release i never heard that term till i was much older we would drive up out of yakima up into the mountains we would go fishing in the natchez river or wherever and we'd catch fish and man we'd fight tooth and nail to get them up on the bank so we could put them in our creel and then take them home and eat them i don't know when a when a pheasant flew if it was a hen you didn't shoot it if it was a rooster you tried to shoot him and kill him and take him home and eat him. I mean, it's a simple way of life, but it really works. Anyway, Florida is going to add this. Uh, looks like they're going to add this right to hunt and fish amendment to their state constitution. It's currently being deliberate, deliberated in the state legislature, but they seem to be for it. And if so if, if the legislature passes it, both houses... It goes to the governor, and DeSantis has indicated he'll sign it because he thinks that hunting and fishing is a good thing. And uh, then it'll go before the people uh, of Florida to vote on it as a ballot measure in 2024. But it's interesting. One of the sponsors, the state representative, this uh, or Mello, uh, she believes the resolution is timely. She said this yesterday. It kind of caught my attention, so I want to share it with you. It's very brief, but... She said, as a native Floridian, growing up hunting and fishing, I I personally identified with that. Growing up hunting and fishing, I couldn't be more passionate about this great legislation that will preserve our rights for generations to come. Mello said in a statement, uh, with the passage of this bill, my family and and all of Florida will continue to enjoy our freedoms in the great state of Florida. She also added, This is so much more than just reporting about the billions of dollars sportsmen contribute annually to Florida's economy. And that is, you know, sport fishing in Florida, both in the off the east and west coast of Florida is is enormous. She said it's uh, this is about uh, allowing us to continue traditions that have been respected and valued for hundreds of years. She said based on a study in 2017, about 74% of gun owners say the right to own guns is essential to their sense of freedom, although today sportsmen are being banned or censored on social media for posting a family picture of a harvest, she says. Well, what she mean? you know, if you catch a fish, you kind of hold them up and somebody takes a picture of you. I don't know how many pictures we have of that and my father and pictures of me and my kids and catching fish. Man, we caught some or whatever. That's what she's talking about. She said, currently, states are trying to pass ballot initiatives to ban and criminalize hunting and fishing. The passage of this bill will ensure that it doesn't happen in Florida. She said, as the daughter of an avid sportsman, I had the blessing to grow up with the value of these traditions. I believe our future generations deserve and will benefit greatly from these same opportunities. Well said. I fully identify with that these people never stop on the left they just can't help themselves they just go and go and go and they try to undo everything that has any thread of normalcy and common interest and you know i I mean if they were unleashed without any restraint one can only imagine where the so-called progressives would take a nation, a state. I mean, we see signs of where they would go. Even a community, particularly a school board, they just never never stop. And if you ask them what the ultimate goal is, they don't know. They'll always default to, well, we need to make progress. Toward what? Well, toward a better world, utopia. We need to make progress. So we end up with thousands of tents lining our streets and sidewalks and people can't go to the stores they love to go shop in anymore because they don't want to walk through human feces and they can't get between the tents anyway. And they might get shot if somebody's having a bad day on drugs. That's where progressivism takes a culture. I got this note in the mail. It's a verse, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. I want to share it with you today. This was for me, but I'm sharing it. It's for you. The Word of God is for everybody. Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it <clears throat> until the day of Jesus Christ. So true. God is working his plan in each of our lives. He calls on us to be faithful. He says, be in the battle, but remember, the battle is the Lord's. That's so comforting sometimes when you know that you're doing what God has called you to do, and sometimes the challenges, and I'm not just talking about myself, but I mean all of us. The battles are so intense, and then you realize, I'm called to be in this battle But ultimately, the battle is the Lord's, because he is in control. Got this note also, sadly, but rejoice. I'm sure this mother is in heaven, but I got this note. It says, my mom loved your foundation and enjoyed uh, donating to it, to your great organization. Just wanted to let you know she has passed away and thought I would let you know you can remove her name from the mailing list. Many, many thanks. And thank you to the family if you're listening, and if not, thank you anyway for your mother's faithful giving to this ministry, and she did. We get those notes from time to time because people go on to be with the Lord. All of us will do that until the rapture. So when we get those notes... We thank God for the person who passed their life and their support of our ministry, but it is is felt each time, whether they're a large donor or a smaller donor. It doesn't matter. They're all important. Everyone is important to the ministry. So maybe just knowing this one person, and this happens somewhat regularly, maybe the Lord would speak to your heart. You don't support this ministry, but maybe you would step up and stand in the gap. Take that place, even though you don't know that person, and I wouldn't share their name, but <clears throat> you could stand in, in their place and help us move forward. I want to thank you, all of you, who stepped up and helped us put this program on in New Mexico, Albuquerque, and Santa Fe. I felt that the Lord wanted us to go there. I shared it with you, and you have given us the money that we needed over and above our budget. I want to thank you for that. You are generous You are helpful. You bless me. And I want to thank you. I mean that. I'm very emotional. I do not take the smallest or the largest donation, except very, very seriously. I know that it is God nudging your heart and your openness to him to write the check. I'm very aware of that, and I thank you for that with all my heart. I was at a convention. I I want to get to another topic here in a minute, but I was at a convention some years ago, and I I, I had to think about this the other day, and then I kind of forgot about it, but it comes to mind now. And uh, I, I, it was either the National Religious Broadcasters or it was the National Association of Evangelicals. I served on the board of the National Association of Evangelicals for a number of years, then they started kind of drifting toward the left in my, not the left, but maybe away from some of the most solid positions they had held 55 million members. I mean, it was a lot and we had our board meetings regularly. It could have been at, at one of those board meetings or it could have been at the national uh, religious broadcasters because I was pretty involved in that back in the day when we were had a television uh, program, a daily television program, but it was one of the two. And I, I, Got to know a lot of pastors and stuff around the the country during those years because we had a lot of meetings and stuff and um, I ran into a pastor from Kansas City whom I had gotten to know over the years and uh, I, we were just talking we were in fact we were riding a bus from the from the airport to to the hotel where this uh, this convention was held or this meeting. And uh, he said, well, how, you know, how's it going? Good to see you and blah, blah, blah. And I said, yes. Like, well, he pastor a l- large church. of several, I don't know, four or 5,000 people. But um, he and I had known each other and we had kind of an ongoing, you know, conversation and we'd go a year and not see each other. And then we'd pick it up kind of where we left off last time we saw each other. And he said, well, you know, how's the television program going? And I go, yeah, it's going great. So on. And he said, man, I can't believe you would choose to l- launch a-, a ministry in the Northwest in oregon or or washington he said i can't believe it and uh i said what do you mean And he said well he said man he said that is one of the most unchurched you know unspiritual places in the country well he's right it is but i i said to him and again he he loved the lord great pastor great guy i said to him i said well man i didn't choose that place that's just where it started And he goes, yeah, I suppose so. But he said, man, if you started in Texas or Oklahoma or down in the Bible Belt somewhere, he said, you could build the ministry a lot faster. He said, because there's more people that give more. I mean, I understood what he was saying. and And he was a good guy. I mean, really a good guy. I haven't seen him for years now. But he loved the Lord and was faithful and great pastor and so on. But I I just remember that because I thought, yeah, he's probably right. We could have probably raised our budget more easily in the Bible Belt, you know, somewhere where kind of everybody's sort of a Christian. But that didn't happen. But I said that to say this. We may not be the Bible Belt up here in the Northwest, but I will tell you there is a group of Christians that are sensitive to the Lord and love the Lord and support the things that they feel will advance the kingdom of God. And many of you listening today are part of that group. Thank you. Thank you. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, 98009. And speaking of New Mexico, where we just this program just went on the air the beginning of February, this is the beginning of the second month that we're on the air, Santa Fe's KRQE-TV News characterized the New Mexico State Legislature's discussion this week as, quote, contentious. It was a debate on Tuesday, they said, that draws in biblical references, accusations, and amendments. This became a national story, and I'm going to tell you why. It was all of that and more as the leftist-dominated legislative body pressed for one of the most radical abortion policies in the nation. That caught my attention, of course. That's important. Some say it embraces infanticide. That really caught my attention. This new approach to killing unwanted unborn babies is not unique, though, to New Mexico. It's just this is the latest addition of this movement right now. It's a bill of many colors. The Santa Fe uh, TV station says as the bill hit the, s- the Senate floor Tuesday afternoon, lawmakers on both sides shared extensive opinions, heated debate about the legislation ahead of a vote. The bill passed the House on a 38 to 31 vote two weeks earlier with no Republican votes in favor and s- six Democrats joining the Republicans in their voting. During Tuesday's debate, this Senator Katie uh, Duhigg, I think is how, how you would pronounce her last name. She explained that the bill doesn't require doctors to do anything outside the care they, they already give. All this law does is it says that a public body can't block access to the care. It does not require that a provider affirmatively provide it. And there's where you begin to enter, end of quote, this is where you begin to enter kind of the the, the crazy zone, the gray zone. What this bill does is it ensures that local government can't block access to that reproductive or gender-affirming care. This is a two-pronged bill. It goes at, and it's it's the same as California, pretty much, and Maryland. And this is beginning to become kind of the drumbeat. It kind of marries, (laughs) excuse my use of that word in this context, but it kind of marries the LGBTQ transgender movement with the abortion movement, and it does so legally. And that's what is becoming frightening, not just to me, but to anyone who's paying attention to all of this nonsense. It's concerning. Senator William Scherer, he's a Republican, he tried to amend the bill to remove the term perinatal from the bill. We'll come back to the word perinatal. Perinatal is a care is a type of reproductive health care, so they say, Scherer said that the term perinatal means after birth, arguing that should not be part of the definition of reproductive health care within the bill. That's not an abortion, he said. That's also not women's health care, this sharer said. He said that is infanticide. And he's right. And anyone with any conscience knows that. And yet these people rush forward to pass these bills. ACLJ, the American American Law Center, uh, Law and Justice, they say that while this bill is packaged slightly different from many of the abortion-related bills we've seen in recent months, it's entirely problematic, and it raises a number of red flags, including some of the use of perinatal language that we, they, the law firm, has been warning Christians about and pro-life people. First, the bill broadly prohibits New Mexico state or local governments from creating or enforcing any law, ordinance, policy, or regulation that violates or conflicts with the bill. Once this bill is in place, if indeed it is, and it looks like it will be, then it forbids the legislature to pass future laws that would in any way undermine this law. Let that sink in for a moment. It's amazing. Secondly, this bill also broadly prohibits state and local government actors, including school districts and other entities that receive public funding from directly or indirectly interfering with a person's ability to access or provide reproductive health care. Reproductive health care, of course, is a.k.a. abortion. In this case, it means abortion in the context of perinatal care, and that, I'll come back to that in a moment, that is alarming if you love life and believe that God is life and Jesus is life and God is the source of life. ACLJ says these two sections alone are concerning. The second section most certainly could be construed as requiring government employees such as school teachers and doctors to support or even perform in the case of doctors' abortions, including those for minor children without parental notification or consent, it's amazing. The term both California and Maryland have bills that are very similar, very very similar to this one. In there, they they contain the term. In the two two states, California and Maryland, they they have the term perinatal uh, perinatal death, and that means after they have come out of the birth channel in in a botched abortion, and they're still alive. And so they provide care for them, quote-unquote. Perinatal death means that they let them die after they've been born, but they didn't die during the abortion procedure. I know this is gory, but I mean, your, your country and my country are walking down this path. It's gruesome. ACLJ ACLJ says, beware. Olivia Summers, writing for the American Center for Law and Justice, she says, let me put it this way. If a woman is 32 weeks pregnant, takes an abortion pill, also known as a pharmaceutical, her baby is born alive due to a botched attempt for a late-term abortion, and then the woman refuses care for the born-alive baby, then she has both acted and and refrained from acting, and... It had an effect on the pregnancy. If this story seems unreal, she said, let me assure you that it is already occurring in California and other parts of the world. The Blade, a news organization, LGBTQIA, based in Los Angeles, they're celebrating this. What they do not say is that the bill should become law with the governor's signature almost completely eliminates future legislation that would overturn this bill. Summer says abortion is already legal in New Mexico, essentially uh, up to the moment of birth. It's one of the most radically pro-abortion places on earth because it has no restrictions on abortion at any stage of gestation. This bill is unnecessary unless it's pushing abortion to even more extreme lengths, which it appears it will be doing, both by undermining religious freedom and conscious protections, or even protection for babies born alive